One week ago, Sunday morning, our brother David preached a sermon entitled, Honor the King. And that was before Wednesday, when on January the 20th, we either witnessed or at least we were aware of what was going on in our country that transpires every four years when a new president is inaugurated. And this is not a sermon about politics, nor is it a sermon about who's president or who should be president or who you want to be president or whether you're happy about it or not. But the fact is, is we honor the king who is more important than any leader of any party and who is king eternal for the rest of eternity. And we are thankful so much for that. We do live with dual citizenship, though. We have a citizenship in this country that we are fortunate to have. And I think by and large, most of us are happy to be Americans. Even in spite of difficulties, even in spite of sometimes we win an election or we lose an election, depending on how you feel about a particular candidate or one's party. But we are also citizens of the kingdom that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And that kingdom is more important. That citizenship is more valuable, and that is something that we are excited to be a part of today and always. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 22, where we're going to begin our study today about citizenship in Jesus Christ. Thankful for you and your presence here this morning. For those of you that are visiting with us, we are very thankful for you. Uh, the fact that you care about spiritual things, whether you be new to this area or new to this congregation or traveling in this area, those of you that are watching online, and those of you that are listening in the parking lot and watching, uh, we're just so very thankful for the fact that you care about spiritual things and that we are here to serve our God together. When we think about citizenship, we think oftentimes in patriotic overtones. You see sometimes citizenship ceremonies where a person is sworn in to become a citizen of the United States. The vast majority of those of us who are present today never took that oath because we were born in the United States. We do have, however, uh, members of this particular congregation who did swear an oath to the United States because they were born someplace else, but now they are here as citizens of the country that you and I call home. Which brings us to the concept of what it means to define or understand citizenship. And I thought, let's start with a simple explanation or a definition. And that is a native, which would be the majority of those of us, or some who are here this morning, a naturalized member of a state or nation, who then owes an allegiance to its government and is entitled to its protection. This is the opposite of an alien. Now, that may not make much sense to those of us here in Tennessee. We're not talking about aliens with antennas coming off the head, right? But this makes perfect sense to those of us who spend any time living uh, near the border in Southern California where you would have signs that would say, especially on busy highways, watch for aliens. And the idea was not watch for Martians from outer space, but be aware that there could be someone crossing the border, and of course they're going to do so illegally, 
and they're going to do so uh, in a way that puts you at danger of harming them or of you being harmed in the process. And so watch for aliens. So the opposite of a citizen is an alien, someone who is not naturalized or native to the state or the nation that the citizenship is otherwise understood to be realized in. It is used oftentimes in a physical sense. That's the uh, political overtones that we talk about so often today. And that is also discussed on a couple of occasions in the New Testament. And you know in Acts 22 and Acts 25 that that is certainly the case. We won't take the time to read Acts 22, uh, all seven or eight of those verses. But this is one of those occasions where Paul finds himself in trouble. And what does he do? He appeals to his Roman citizenship. In verse 25, as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And in the very next statement, the fact is, is they put the brakes on the beating and they say, Wait just a minute here. We cannot go and just beat this person as an outsider, as an alien, because this person shares our citizenship with us. Similarly, in Acts chapter 25, in verse 9, Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? And so Paul says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. And where I ought to be judged to the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. And then he says, you have appealed to Caesar, verse 12, and to Caesar you shall go because that is your privilege as being a citizen of the Roman government. My question today, especially in light of what David talked about uh, Sunday evening, and I hope what he's talking about tonight, you haven't changed your mind. Okay, so he's going to be talking about the king tonight as well. And I'm excited about his message tonight as well. When we honor the king, when we think about our citizenship, when we think about uh, what it means to be a citizen, not just of the United States, but what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Let's talk about uh, three or four things this morning. Number one, we need to acknowledge, based on the definition that we gave at the outset of our study, that because we owe allegiance to a government, we are also entitled to its protection. As citizens of the United States, we are entitled to a number of forms of various protection. And the same is true when it comes to the kingdom of God. For example, uh, we have the United States military, and we have members who are either active uh, or who have served our nation uh, in the military as members of this church. And we're thankful for the sacrifices that they made and the sacrifices that they were willing to make in giving their lives. Uh, we have members of this church who at some point were involved in local law enforcement and were also, as citizens of this country, we are uh, entitled to enforcement of those laws and protection from those things. I want to look at three passages here. I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33 is a go-to verse when it comes to worry, when it comes to anxiety. In fact, the entire sixth chapter uh, is really devoted to understanding the importance of allowing God to, to take over in one's lives. But in verse 32, after all these things, that is the physical things, clothing, food, and shelter, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
But what do you need to do, given the fact that you are in the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as a result of our citizenship in Jesus Christ, we have protection and providing of God himself. Furthermore, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, where we had our scripture reading from, if you go over a couple of chapters further, you find there where he says, I'm going to provide you with all the armor that is going to be helpful in providing protection. We won't read verses 10 through 17, but you remember that he talks about girding the waist with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit. These are all elements of the Christian's armor, things that God provides for us that is up to us to put on in order to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil or the fiery darts of the wicked one, verse 16. And you and I are granted that protection because we are citizens of the kingdom. And thirdly, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 reminds me of, again, a, a kind of a go-to passage for when we're really worried or stressed or anxious about something. And he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. There's that contentment concept again. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Incidentally, it's interesting to note that as we're talking about the concept of rule and law and government and citizenship, he says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, and whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. And verse 17, as we talked about in our Bible class this morning, obeying those who rule over you. You see, there are rules that are in place, and that's true in the church in a local sense. That's true in the church in a universal sense. It's true in the kingdom sense, and it's true in our own political governments. It was written some 230 years ago that if men were angels, there would be no need for government. But men are not angels. <laughs> in the Federalist Papers, it was written. And it stated that there was a need for government and therefore a need for a strong constitution. And I think you could argue that because we are not angels as well, not that angels are perfect as we study in the Bible. Angels can leave their proper domain according to the book of Jude. But they are the idea of perfection. We uh, consider that the idea of not making a mistake. We do make those errors in judgment. We do find ourselves in need of rules and in need of protection that comes as a result of our citizenship. Secondly, citizenship means for us that God prepares, that God prepares. In essence, God has provided since and before the beginning. I put that in parentheses and before because to say that God has provided since the beginning is technically incorrect, is it not? Because in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we find a passage there where it says that the seed of woman will come and will bruise the head of the serpent. The idea being that even though the serpent is going to look like he has victory over, over Christ, 
Christ will have the ultimate victory when all is said and done. But I'm reminded of a passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which are some of my favorite verses to read when we think about the concept of creation, where it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then notice the words in verse 4. And if you like underlining things in your Bible, just as he chose us in him. And then it says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Long before God said, let there be light, long before he made man out of the dust and woman out of the rib, God had a plan for us. And that's important for us to appreciate because whether you know it or not, you need to be familiar with the fact that there are some who suggest that God made a mistake in the garden. That particularly that when God put man in the garden and he says, do not eat of the tree, that when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, that that was a mistake on God's part. And God said to himself, well, what have I done? No, that's not the case at all. But because before the foundation of the world, God already had a plan in place where he was going to prepare for us. Let me share with you three passages from the New Testament. One is in the book of John, one in the book of Hebrews, one in the book of Revelation. So in the book of John chapter 14, uh, these are verses that are beautiful verses. And you would say, wait a minute, what verses are not beautiful? They're all beautiful. I get it. But John 14 verses 1 through 3 are just really beautiful verses. They're the kinds of verses that give you comfort in time of grief, give you hope in time of trial. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You see, being a citizen of the kingdom while here on earth provides for us the wherewithal for a hope of something that is greater when this life is over. One of the saddest things, and we've talked about this before, is when you go to a funeral service for someone who has no hope or attending a funeral service for people who have no sort of spiritual dimension, which would also mean they have no hope, and they are, of all men, Paul says, the most pitiable or the most miserable. But we, even though we grieve, we rejoice over the death of the person. Because better to go to the house of mourning, the wise man would say, in part because of the hope that is provided for those of us in a God who prepares a place for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verses 13 through 16, we find the idea of faith and a heavenly hope. And he says, the writer says here in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Where if we're pilgrims on the earth, that must mean that our citizenship is someplace else. 
For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They're seeking a, a place where they can live. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, a heavenly country. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has done what? He has prepared a city for them. You and I, one day, will get to heaven and we'll look at one another and we'll say, this is what God has prepared. He has prepared that for the citizens of the kingdom. Which reminds me of the picture that was painted by the writer in Revelation chapter 21. And let's read those verses with which we are familiar. Where he says in the 21st chapter, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and watch it, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, if I could take the liberty to rewrite verse 4, I would say there's no sorrow, there's no death, there's no crying, there's no COVID. There's no surgery. There's no surgery recovery. There's no headaches. There's no joblessness. None of that stuff will transpire in heaven. Because God has prepared something that is great for those who are the citizens in the kingdom. Thirdly, citizenship means encouragement from fellow citizens. Trying to be a saint by one's self may not be impossible, but I think it's impossible. I mean, if you think about trying to do the job of being a Christian and being faithful to the Lord and do so without the assistance from others, that's a really daunting task. In fact, I'm convinced that that's one of the reasons why God created the church. Now, he created the church so as to be the bride of Christ and to be a praise and to be the pillar of the ground of truth and all those great things. But one of the reasons why the church is the church is because we are called out and we are added to a body so that we can encourage one another because it's difficult to do this thing alone. It's difficult to be faithful to God without the assistance of brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, I'm reminded of a number of passages that attest to this. Philippians chapter 2 and then James 5 and Romans 15 we'll look at here in just a moment. But in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, the apostle writes, If there is any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, by the way, that word consolation in some versions is the word encouragement. So, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection of the mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And then in verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
isn't that what the so-called golden rule is really all about? The idea that you treat others in the way that you would want to be treated? In James chapter 5, we talked about this a little bit this morning without actually referencing James 5. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we find where an individual was in sin and the Corinthians, as we discussed in our Bible class this morning, did not do what James 5, 19 through 20 teaches. That when a person is in sin, we are to go and to engage that person and say, hey, you're not living correctly. We acknowledge so much this morning that that is not a fun task. That is not a enjoyable task. That is a challenging thing to do. But it is altogether right and fitting and appropriate for us to be engaged in doing what James 5 says, where it says you go to those who are weaker, to those who are in sin, and you do what you can to help them in their time of trouble. And Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 tells us that we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. You see, because we are all Christians, because we are all saints, because we are all citizens of the kingdom, we share in common the necessity of building up one another and strengthening one another, as Paul and James have argued us to do. Let me suggest, fourthly and finally, that citizenship includes the promise of a homeland. As I began, so I come to a close in arguing that we have dual citizenship. We are here on earth living in the United States. We are here on earth living in other countries. We have our brothers and sisters who live all around the world in various places. And so we have dual citizenship because we are also citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we remember that as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, that this is not our home. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against us. So we are pilgrims, we are sojourners, we are strangers. If there are times where you feel like you're not at home in this world, that's okay. After all, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the fact is, is we are not home here, but are looking for something that is better. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, where we read from a few moments ago, I want to return there and just highlight something. He says, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer foreigners, but rather you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And our citizenship is based not on empty promises, but is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself, who's the chief cornerstone. We are citizens of a kingdom wherein the currency, if there were such a thing, would have the face of our king on it. And we would gladly render under him all the things that he deserves as Luke chapter 20 seems to suggest with the idea of rendering unto Caesar those things that are Caesar. In Philippians chapter 3 in verse 20, it's a verse that is familiar to you, says that our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven 
from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You see, we are citizens in heaven. Paul was writing that particular letter, as we recently discussed in our introduction to 2 Corinthians, from a prison cell. Having his freedom taken away, having his freedoms uh, restrained from him. But yet he says, you know what? In spite of all the challenges in my life, in spite of all the difficulties in my life, the fact is my citizenship is in heaven. And that keeps my hope alive. And that makes all the difference. Take away hope, you take away everything. And the hope of citizenship in heaven is something that you and I realize together. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the writer there says in verse 22, he says, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things, better than that of Abel. What a beautiful passage that I think sometimes we underestimate or glance over or don't read. But you and I are part of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn registered in heaven. You know, somewhere in some computer is our name in the United States, whether it be with the Social Security Administration, with the IRS, or some other government agency. The fact is, is you are known to the United States government as being a citizen of the United States. And somewhere in the computer system in heaven, if you log in, you're going to find your name. And that's exciting. I'd rather be in the computer system there, certainly, than in the IRS. <laughs> Even more so than the Social Security Administration. And with all the blessings that come from living in the United States, and as we began, I think we all agree that we're fortunate to live in a free country. Brother Lee led us in prayer saying thank you for the country that we live in that provides us with these freedoms to come together without any fear of harm from others. We are looking forward to heaven. That's where our focus is. What is it that we are to do going forward? Let me close with this, and that is some action points for citizens. You know there are action points for citizens of the United States, things that we should do as citizens of the United States, whether that be in participating or maybe voting or paying our taxes or honoring the king and doing all the things that we talked about last Sunday morning. Let me suggest to you four action points for us as citizens of the kingdom. Number one is to be a faithful ambassador. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are responsible for representing him to the world. And when you are an ambassador, you are at the beckoning call of the president or of the king or of the prime minister, whatever kind of government you have. And we are at the call of Jesus Christ. 
which means when we are ambassadors for him, it's not about our will, it's about his will. It's not our wishes, it is his wishes instead. Secondly, be thankful for the protector. One final passage that I want to read together is in Psalm 121, in the first five verses. Because I thought about this particular passage when I was preparing this, and I thought, what a beautiful set of, of verses. You can read the whole thing, but I love verse 1 um, because it reminds me of a man who I have a lot of respect for, who's well into his 80s or 90s now, and he said that when someone was grieving over the loss of their child, he says, and he quoted, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. That is the protector that is our government. You know, I, I think most of us in the United States feel pretty safe. I mean, we have the most sophisticated military in the world. We, we boast about that, and that's, that's fine. Say so we've got a military that no one messes with us. Nobody messes with the United States, and when they do, they pay dearly. And in most places in the United States, it's relatively safe. We have neighborhoods that are patrolled by police, and we have citizens that are generally respectful and respectable in the way that they treat their fellow citizens and fellow residents of their communities. But we are never going to be as protected in this life as we are protected by our God, who is our shield and who is our keeper and who is our shade. That's the protector that you and I serve, and we are citizens of that kingdom. Thirdly, we should be effective encouragers to others. Go back and reread Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Go back and reread those passages where we talk about the idea of bearing with those who are weaker, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. But Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and he says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we have opportunity to do good, let us do good unto all, especially to those of the household of faith. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or we faint. Fourthly, be responsible citizens. You know, we want our children to be responsible citizens and residents of the United States in the sense that obey the laws, pay your taxes, listen to the police, uh, drive carefully, do all those things. We should be responsible citizens of the kingdom of God and set a good example. Um, the fact is, is Romans chapter 12 is replete, especially verses 9 through about verse 21. With all the different behaviors of us as Christians. So if you want to go back and reread those 10 or 12 verses, I encourage you to do so. Where in essence it's saying be responsible as a citizen. We need to remember that the king we serve, because after all we are citizens of the kingdom, is greater than any earthly leader. You think about that. More powerful than any earthly leader. We talk about the most powerful man on the earth generally speaking, of our chief executive. And while he does have considerable power, that is nothing compared to our God because he has all power. Oh, magnify my master, 
give praise to his holy name because he is indeed our savior and our friend. And the savior and friend that we serve is in the kingdom of which you and I are citizens. But if you're not a Christian, you're not a citizen. You are not born into the kingdom simply by being born. You have to be born again as is taught in John chapter 3. And we encourage you to make that commitment today by being baptized to have your sins washed away. If you are almost persuaded, we want you in the words of the Apostle Paul to be altogether persuaded for the cause of Christ. That may mean making a change in your life and repenting like we prayed about and like we talked about. If you are a Christian and need to make correction, do so. And turn around in a different way to make a positive change for the future. If that's something that we can help you with, or if you're ready to be baptized to have your sins washed away, if we can help you this morning, we'd love to. Let us know while we stand and while we sing.